Welcome to Eye on the Illini. This is Mike Kegley. We are going to do a review of the 2023 Illini football season, part one with Kedrick Prince and Matt Stevens. We'll have part two out in a couple days. We'll be right back after this to talk to Matt and Kedrick. Are you looking to grow your business? Do that with the Illini Guys radio network by advertising on the Illini Guys Sports Spectacular. The weekly two-hour syndicated show airs on more than 20 stations and is heard in six states throughout the Midwest, including Chicago, St. Louis, the Quad Cities, Peoria, Bloomington, Springfield, Champaign, Decatur, Rockford, and Quincy, just to name a few, with a reach of more than 11 million people. For information, send an email to mike at IlliniGuys.com, and let's work together to grow your business. That's mike at I-L-L-I-N-I-G-U-Y-S.com, and let the power and reach of the Illini Guys Network work for you. And as promised, this is Mike Kegley, and I'm here with Matt Stevens and Kedrick Prince. We are talking, of course, about the 2023 Illini football season in review. Let's talk first, guys. Looking at the offense, we had a team that started off really struggling to score. A team that also, though, developed the ability to come back at the end of games and put points on the board, why they couldn't do it between, let's say, the first drive and the last drive. Well, that's something to think about. But in the end of the year, you know, it started heating up under Luke Altmeyer, and then under John Paddock, it really boiled in terms of the ability to score points. When we look at this offense, Matt, what do you think about this? How do you, how do you look at this offense and encapsulate it for the year? Uh, their inability to run the ball early in the year translated into their inability to be able to score, their inability to keep the defense off the field. Um, you know, and, and, and I felt like, you know, their, their, their rash of injuries that hits the running back room in a way that Brett Beal was never experienced before as a head coach, uh, really set them back. And then I think they, they made some assessments on the offensive line, um, early on in the year that they had to kind of try to figure out how to piece it together and bubble gum it together. Um, you know, you know, by the end of the year, I think they had some cohesiveness there. Brett Bielema at least said so in his end of the year press conference, he felt like they had some cohesiveness. Um, but their inability to run the ball early on and throughout maybe even the middle of the year, probably until Caden Fagan became an option. Um, due to the rash of injuries they had, I don't think they were able to effectively run the ball and uh, do things on, on, especially on short yardage situations with their offensive line pieces that were just had no cohesion early on in the year. Um, I and and uh, just felt like that was a huge problem for them because with all the sacks, with all the negative plays, they would get into third and long situations. And you're asking Luke Altmeyer, at least in the beginning, in the middle of the year to bail you out in a way that just wasn't, you know, something that they wanted philosophically to have this be about. And he was able to bail them out. Sometimes he was able to bail them out against Maryland. He was able to bail them out against Toledo in the opener. Um, but that's just not going to be sustainable throughout the whole year. And, and I think that that foundational piece not being around, I go back to what Barry Lunny said in, in August when he would talk about the offense when he said there's a lot of times where Chase made us right in 2022. Chase Brown's not there anymore, and if Chase can't make you right, they they really found a, a they found a, a a struggle 
to to find that you know uh, ability to unlock the run game in in whatever tailback they wanted to use and whatever offensive line combination they were going to use throughout the entire year. I think they got a lot better because they got more games under the belt. If I if I had to name it, you know, I had to say two key uh, contributors. I think the offensive line was better. You know, you go back to that Kansas game, it was atrocious. It was really bad. I mean, you know, Luke Almeyer was running for his life. I mean, he was being sacked four or five times a game. I think the offensive line got better. I will agree 1,000% with Matt. Having Caden Fagan back there changed the game. I mean, it, it did. And I don't I don't want to even want to say it's Bielema ball. I mean, I know they ran between the tackles, and I know he's a physical back, but Going with the three things that I mentioned with, you know, you know, becoming older and, you know, learning the system and the, the running back and the offensive line, I think the play calling changed. I think because they were able to protect a little bit more and it gave the offense. I mean, I was extremely impressed. I mean, when Illinois hired Barry Lenny June, I was really, I was excited. But then I didn't see that for, for, you know, I didn't see that last year. This year, you saw what that offense could be like. And, to, I've never said this through Twitter or through uh, a podcast. If Barry Lunny Jr. is still at the University of Illinois, I'm going to be okay with those West Coast teams coming in here because his offensive mindset was impressive. And I, you know, I tweeted this this week. You know, as bad as Illinois was early in the season, they finished fifth in the conference at 25 points a game. I mean, and think how bad they were in the beginning. So, you know, I know they could possibly lose a lot. But I think the another year in the system, Luke Altmaier is another point of emphasis because, let's face it, he was basically a true freshman coming into the Big Ten game, you know, to the Big Ten. And I think he's going to be magnificent next year, you know, has a year under his belt, a year in the system. Um, and that, that all played a part. That's why I'm really excited for, you know, for the future. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's some good points there. And I think we'll, we'll certainly um, you look at Lunny Jr. and – I think he proved that he he was very much a part of what was going on at UTSA, and it was nice to see him have the opportunity to to open up the offense just a little bit. And boy, that was an exciting brand of football. Now, Matt, when we look at um, you know who were your you know your top people that you were you know pleased with this year on the offense, and were there any any uh, disappointments with the offense that come to mind? Well, Isaiah Williams, number one, like yeah. number one, number one, like, you know, I mean, um, look, I, I've, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Isaiah, you know, was the most dynamic player on the field for the last two years for Illinois. Um, I think he'll go down as one of the most dynamic wide receivers that Brett Bielema has ever had. Um, and I think he did everything he could to make Illinois' passing game dynamic. Um, I also think that he allows um, Luke Altmaier to, to transition to being a full-time starter for the first time in his career in a way that I think, you know, he needed and that Isaiah needed that ability to, you know, be able to make plays. And I think that that's, that, that was a key, um, you know, I'll, I think Caden Fagan was a big impact guy when he was healthy. I think that he is a future star um, with what I know Bielema and Lenny want to do with the offense. Bielema said it so much again on Thursday in his end of the season press conference. 
our foundation is going to be running the football. Um, I'll just quote the head coach. He thinks that really good teams do three things really well, run the ball, stop the run, and cover kicks. Um, if Illinois does all three of those things, Brett Villanueva thinks Illinois is going to be really successful. Notice none of that had anything to do with throwing the ball down the field. None of that had anything to do with being dynamic in the passing game. None of it. Um, that is not what the philosophy of the head coach wants at Illinois. And that's not what he thinks is a winning philosophy at Illinois. If that's the case, then number three, your 250 pound tailback has a chance to be as dynamic as Chase Brown does as he was in 2022 when he gets to be an older player. So I think that was, that was, that was a highlight. I'll give you one. And I, I think I might be on the Island on this. I was really impressed with Josh Cruz. Uh, that Illinois coaching staff tried everything they could to kick him out of that starting spot at center before they started fall camp in August. He took everything. He saw everything on social media and he told the coaching staff to hell with you guys. I'm going to win this job and I'm going to be the guy that you want at center for the next couple of years. I'll be damned if Josh Cruz wasn't the highly, most highly rated offensive lineman next to Isaiah Adams every single week at a really, really, uh, you know, important position that Brett Bielema feels like at center. I think he, I talked to Olin about this, you know, right before the Iowa game, they are really, really impressed with the way that Josh has just developed as a person, developed his communicative skills, developed being more verbal. Um, and then he's always been physically aggressive and quite frankly, mean when he gets in between the lines and, and um, just like his dad. So there's a, there's a lot to like there. Disappointments. Um, they thought Zy Chrysler was a tackle and they, they blew the boat on that one. I'm sorry. They blew, they blew that one bad credit to Bart Miller, credit to Brett Bielema, credit to Barry Lunny. They made that change. I think even before the, after the Kansas game and before the Penn state game. And I thought Zy Chrysler did really, really well at guard when he was completely healthy throughout the rest of the year, but they blew that assessment in the, in the preseason badly. Um, and then again, I think a huge disappointment for me, was just knowing that you were excited about Reggie Love and what he could do at the tailback room. Josh McCray, what he could do in the tailback room. Aiden Loffrey, what he could do in the tailback room. They all got hurt. There isn't a tailback on this roster that played more than nine games this year, not one. And I think that that, that was a huge setback. That's not anybody's fault at Illinois, but it is a huge setback for what you wanted to do offensively at Illinois, that none of those tailbacks could get any kind of continuity because of injuries this year. It is a rash of injuries. Red Bielema's been running the football since he became a head coach in 2000 and 2007 at Wisconsin. He's never seen this before in his tailback room before, and he hopes he never sees it again. It's nobody's fault, but I thought it was a huge, had a huge impact on what Illinois was in 2023. Um, for me, to be honest with you, I, a guy that I thought that was impressive on offense, and I just, it's sad to see him go to Casey Washington. Casey Washington was solid all season long. You could throw a, a thumbtack to that kid with two people and he's going to get a hand on it. He was just solid. I mean, you talk about a guy that, I mean, go back to the Toledo game. I mean, I don't care how good the, the defensive back was, the secondary was, he was able to go make plays. Um, and then, yeah, obviously Isaiah was great, but I just, you go back to games when Illinois needed a play, They he was a sure-handed guy and teams knew the ball was coming to him, and I revert back to the Iowa game. All those hard hits he he took, and he was able to get a hand on it. 
to make plays. So uh, the other guy I'm going to give kudos to, I have Caden Fagan is a game changer. This kid, in my opinion, totally changed the entire look of our running back room because he could get three or four yards in the fall over to get two or three more. There wasn't a running back on that roster, maybe um, McCray, but, I, you know, we saw flashes of it when he was younger. But Kevin, Kevin Fagan, if he can stay healthy, this kid has the potential to be, an, an, you know, an all-Big Ten back. And I remember one game sitting up in a press box. Obviously, everybody was there, to, you know, to look at Newton and, you know, and, and the Klan. But there were a couple of NFL scouts out there specifically because I was on the end talking about Caden Fagan and they're looking up his age and thinking, you know, they're licking their chops. So I was impressed with him. Um, the disappointment for me, I have to say, was the offensive line. I Luke Allmeyer got hit too many times for me. I mean, and he never complained. And I don't I know people can argue about uh, the size between him and John Paddock. John Paddock throws a different arm angle. He's not much taller. Um, and for my dessert, I know you didn't ask for that. John Paddock, what a remarkable story. And I know, Matt, you mentioned what uh, Brad, uh, excuse me, what um, Brett Bielema wants to do. I'm fine, run the football, but I'm going to tell you what, you got to throw the football because you see what's coming to the Big Ten. And, I mean, I'm cool with running it, but if Barry Leonard's running that offense, I think it's hard to defend because he ran it and he threw it. We did a podcast once, and I think you gave the numbers. It was close. It looked like they threw the ball more than what they did. But it was 60, 40, 50, 50, or something close to it. I just think that that's going to be a part of the offense that they're going to have to utilize. And you got a guy that can spin it in Luke Altmaier, and I think I think they're going to utilize that. And you got a true freshman going to be coming in. And so you're not just going to hand the ball off, but I know that I, I'm not expecting to throw it all the time, either all over the field. That's never going to happen. I get to say this for the first time, Ked. The head coach at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign disagrees with you. <laughs> He could disagree, but I know I've seen the games at Iowa. They didn't hand it off because it wasn't going to happen. Regardless, only had one back. I saw the game at Indiana. They threw it, and they threw it all over the field against Northwestern. I'm just telling you, he can say that to us. To me, I'm just going to say it to me. That's coaches speak because if you think you're just going to hand that ball off all the time and people I, – I don't think it's going to work. And to truthfully, Mike, you asked the question, the offense changed. I mean, somebody voted for Mr. Paddock – to be honorable mention all Big Ten, they the offense changed the last six games. And part of it, some of the games were Luke Allmeyer when you go back to the Maryland game, but let's call a spade a spade. That kid threw the ball around the field. Illinois was the Illinois had a chance to win late in those games, regardless if you like the pass or not, whether Brett Bielema likes it or not, I he I bet he wasn't disappointed. I'll put it that way. I'll end it on that. Well, it, it, like I said, that's something that most we'll, we'll have to see. You know, Tigers don't change their stripes, uh, so we'll, we'll see what we'll see what happens here. Um, when we when we look, I think we're probably all unified that if there's an offensive MVP, it'd be Isaiah Williams. Um, I mean, he had a, a stellar year, uh, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. Um, when we look at the defense, this is probably the part where three players, you know, in the defensive backfield or in the NFL and and they're earning a living. They're not just standing around all the time um, from last year's team. The team underperformed. I think a big part of that was uh, Keith Randolph having to play with a high ankle sprain. Anybody who knows about those, you can be fine one day with a high ankle sprain and then the next day you go to plant on it and you've got nothing. 
And it, it seemed to me from watching certain games there live, there were some games that he could move and there were some games that he couldn't. I'll give him great credit for doing his best to try to, to, to be in those games uh, and contribute while he didn't have uh, a lot of his arsenal, so to speak, uh, at it, you know, there. But I think overall the frustration was the team did not perform at the level that was expected. And coach made a, uh, a comment that when, when Dave Dorian, who, who is now the, the, uh, head coach at uh, North Carolina State, you know, his first year was a struggle uh, for Wisconsin. And then they, I think they ripped off three 10 win seasons in a row afterwards with him at DC. So um, I'm, I'm assuming that coach wasn't guaranteeing three 10 win seasons in a row, but let's hope that, that, um, you know, that happens. I will say that that personally, I thought the the offense, or excuse me, the defensive backs were very similar to the problem that Florida had, where they had a lot of physical talent on the field, but the physical talent either was a a freshman, or b inexperienced, or c a and b. So when you have a, a you know inexperienced defensive backs who are freshmen or, or who maybe haven't gotten the full benefit of the weight room, you have to have a pass rush. And when it's Johnny Newton getting triple teamed, that makes it hard to get a pass rush, especially if Keith wasn't feeling up to par. Guys, let's go with you first, Matt. What what are you seeing out of the defense? How would you characterize the season? I said it in August. If Illinois didn't get home with their, with their pass rush, it was going to be a long, long season. It was a long, long season. Because Illinois, one, didn't get home with their pass rush if your name wasn't Johnny Newton and two um, yeah, you were asking first year starter, Miles Scott to be your deep safety. You were asking, you know, Tyler strain and then freshman Zach Tobe to be the opposite corner. You were asking, uh, you know, you had no healthy Matthew Bailey the entire year. Now I am not going to allow everybody to think that Matthew Bailey is Sidney Brown. Like I'm just not like, he's a really good player, but you should have you you you've brought in two safeties and Clayton Bush and and Demetrius Hill, who should have accounted for that loss um, in Matthew Bailey, and that didn't happen. Um, I, I I thought yeah I thought the defense under and oh by the way, you knew that things weren't going to be you know <laughs> peachy keen because you hired a first year defensive coordinator, and there were going to be and you had two two brand new coaches also around Aaron on that staff and Charlie Bullen and Antonio Finellis who were going to have to get their feet wet somehow, some way and what they were doing. So, um, you know, I, I felt like, you know, they never feel, and then, Oh, by, I, I think the last point is philosophically, they never could figure out what they wanted to be. Ryan Walt knew exactly what he wanted the last two years defense to be like, we are going to play man. We are going to play physical up front and if you're going to beat us, we'll tip your hat and you beat us. Like, it, but we're going to be aggressive and we're going to be, we're going to be out there playing. Like we're, we're going to come after you every single play. We're going to come after you. And if you can beat us that way, great, but good luck to you. Um, Aaron couldn't figure out a mix between zone and man. He couldn't figure out a mix between when to blitz and when not to. Um, that all comes with experience. Got to remember Ryan, even if he had been, 
you know, average to adequate in his two years of doing it at Missouri. He had two years at Missouri to do it before he came here. Aaron had never done this job before. What you said echoed exactly what the head coach said today or on Thursday, Mike, is that, you know, I knew there was going to be rough spots with Aaron in the first year. And I was willing to kind of, you know, ride the wave of those. Um, But yeah, I think the defense underperformed because in a very, very similar way, and I don't think the defense in those years really underperformed, but you had Simeon Rice, Kevin Hardy, and John Holacek all be all American linebackers, and Illinois went five, five, and one yeah. in, in a year. Yeah, and you had a all you had a first team All American and 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 a a I would think an All Big Ten potential first team All Big Ten player and Keith Randolph when he was healthy, and you couldn't figure it out and, and get it get it figured out. And and it, and it, it has to do a lot with youth and experience in the back seven. But it also has to do with this coaching staff could never philosophically figure out what they wanted to be and how they wanted to do it. And I think that's going to have to be a big emphasis in this offseason because I just don't think Brett Bielan is going to make a whole lot of changes. I mean, meaning personnel-wise. Um, I'm just going to start with player, but I want to I want to start with uh, Aaron Henry. I'm not – I feel I'm a little different with him, I think. I, I think he – I, you know, we were sitting in the press box multiple times and we talked about man, man zone, you know, what do you do? Should you do this? Shouldn't you? Shouldn't you? He made it clear to us at the beginning of the season, they want to play man. They just were not good enough. They were too young to, to go man. I mean, that's, I think if you go back and you reflect on the whole season, a lot of those penalties were because they just were not in position um, they were young. I mean, we're sitting there, turn your head, turn your head. You can teach that, but you can't teach age, you know, and the more reps you get, the better you're going to be. I think if it was up to Aaron Henry, because I know they tried to run the same system, they would have never went to zone. There was, I think the Wisconsin game, I mean, they lost it. They went to a zone because they couldn't stop a man, you know, with man coverage. So I think he will get better. I know um, Leonard was, you know, a recruiting coordinator, but there was um, he had access to him and and Brett Beatham was a defensive old defensive guy as well. So I can't say that he wasn't taught and he didn't know what, what was going on. And, you know, I know if you ask him, he'll tell you, yes, I'm learning on the job. And I think it's, you know, Brett would not have hired him if he didn't think he couldn't do the job. So I give him credit, but I just think to Matt, well, I will say what I agree with you on this. Matthew Bailey would have helped. I mean, a lot. I think he would have picked off a couple more balls because he's good enough, but he wouldn't have been the savior on defense. I mean, there's just not one guy that's going to be able to cover that secondary like that. So, you know, will he help? Heck yes, he will, because he's physical and he reads the ball well. Probably would have got a few more deflections. You know, a guy that I really liked who I think came on, and you know, late in the year from, you know, a lot of people obviously going to give credit to Newton and, you know, I get, I get all that because those guys were good. They were solid at what they did. Um, Gabe Yakis, was solid, you know. Uh, I don't think he had the year that we all thought he was going to have. I don't, you know, that didn't happen, you know. Um, you know, when I mentioned Newton him being double teamed, you know, that certainly didn't help his case either. You know, as far as numbers, I know we can look at some of the numbers, but I just don't know how good it really was. But I don't want to say there was one guy that was a star for me, a guy that you know, other than the normal. I guess if you say, if you will, I, I think they have a lot to prove. They have a lot to do in the off season. 
They have to get better in the offseason. They have to understand coverages. I think the film room is going to be huge for them. If they really want to make that stride, that's what's going to have to put them over the hump. In closing, I like Dylan Rosiak toward the end. I, I don't think he got enough credit. I think he got better as well. So he there was one guy that was kind of underappreciated. I think he got better toward the end, end of the season. So the other thing, Matt, um, when you look at uh... – you know, players who were contributors. I don't want to downplay Johnny Newton, but we'll all Good. bring him up. <laughs> um, you know, because you really can't. I mean, to be honest, he was probably as dominant as Whitney Merciless or Simeon Rice. Um, and that's saying something for you guys who haven't been around. Um, and and even in a lot of ways, I don't even know if Mo Gardner, as good as he was, he didn't have some of my memory. He didn't have quite the individual domination. I will tell you that, that Johnny Newton reminds, reminds me, um, you know, at first I was thinking, uh, you know, of Donald from um, Aaron Donald. Yeah. Aaron Donald from the Rams. But now I go back to John Randall of the Vikings, who was, not much smaller than him, but he was undersized. And that is the guy that I remind, he reminds me of because he plays so hard and Randall literally would run out onto the practice field. Like he was in the middle of a wind sprint and Newton's got that same intensity, but, um, and then, uh, you know, it was there anybody that, that maybe let you down a little bit in terms of what you were hoping from him? I want to point out, I've done this line of work since 2008, late 2008, there have been two players on the defensive line that I think have been man-childs that I, I can't imagine what I co- – I don't I still can't properly, I feel like, describe what I covered. One was Fletcher Cox at Mississippi State. The other is Johnny Newt. They're in the same category. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable how dominant they were on a defense that was average. And Fletcher Cox, his, his – his last year at Mississippi State, they went seven and six and and won like the I think it was I think I was the yeah, I think it was the Independence Bowl that I was at. Like they beat Wake Forest, but that was an average defense that he just wrecked. Like he would he would wreck things. And Johnny Newton did the same thing. I go back to it was like a caged tiger. I go back to the Minnesota game when he came out of the locker room after halftime, after he was suspended for the first half. You saw the difference in that game. And it was all number four, every bit of it. So he, I believe, I could be dead wrong on this and play it back if I'm dead wrong. But I think he's going to be the first defensive player off the board in the NFL draft, and 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 I think he deserves to be. Uh, disappointments. Um, Eric Barnes. And I don't mean like – I think captain-wise, he took a lot of steps. I think being verbal, he took a lot of steps. Um, he got passed on the depth chart at linebacker. Uh, by Dylan Rosiak and by Keanu Ogaluga. Like, and, and, and so I think he took, um, he had to take a, a, a role that I didn't see because I thought he was making strides at being an all big 10 linebacker. And I was dead wrong about that. Dead, dead wrong, dead wrong. Um, Taz Nicholson. Okay. I don't think he spit on the kid in, I think it was at the Indiana game. I don't think he did it. There were a lot of instances where where Taz could have been a better leader. He could have been a better player. And I think he could have been – he was asked to do a lot of Devin Witherspoon stuff. And we learned that there's only one Devin Witherspoon. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. And so maybe it's not Taz's fault, but like those are two that I identify that, hey, you were asked to take a bigger role and maybe that was just too big a role for you. And that that I think is something well, Tyreek's done uh, at Illinois. But when they look at Taz Nicholson, I don't think that they can do the island thing at corner anymore with him. I just don't. I don't think that works for him. And I think that this defensive staff has got to look at what are we doing to put guys in positions to succeed. And, and so if you ask me about guys that I didn't think fulfilled their full potential, those were the two. And I think it was because they got asked to do things like Tyreek Barnes got asked to do Jake Hansen things. And I think we learned he's not Jake Hansen. Like he got Tyreek, Taz Nicholson got asked to do Devin Witherspoon things. And I think we learned he's not Devin Witherspoon. Right. And so that may not have been a fair ask, you know? And so when you go and you reevaluate the end of the year things, those are the things I know this coaching staff is thinking about of how do we put our guys in a better position? Part of that is what are we asking them to do? And I think that, that will be a different answer going into spring and then obviously the preseason camp of the 2024 season. Well, I, I kind of mentioned mine. Mike, Mike, I kind of, you know, jumped the gun with who I liked and what I, who I thought performed and underperformed. Um, but I will just say this one more part, you know, because I do need to give Johnny credit. You know, Lauren Tate's been around for a long time. He's covered a lot of Illinois basketball games, a beat writer for the News Gazette said he's never seen anything like that in all of his years of covering Illinois Athletic, and it's been well over 50 years that he's no, never has he seen a kid change a game like that. And I will – there's one game I know – I think, Matt, you mentioned the Minnesota game, but when I really saw his talent was the play against Indiana when he sacked the quarterback when, you know, he got the illegal hit. I'm going to tell you, he – I, I didn't see him coming. And we, when you're sitting up there, you can see everything. That shows you how quick and how athletic he is. And he's a big boy. And I, he's going to be a very, very wealthy man someday. And it's just really good to see kids like that at Illinois um, perform. I think it's good for, you know, from a recruiting standpoint. But, boy, you I mean, Illinois fans are really going to miss having a guy like that. But it's going to be good for him because being double-teamed and triple-teamed all year has to stink. And I know he got frustrated with that at times. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm going to do just have you do real quick comments as we move on to other things. But um, any any notables on the special teams, I'll do two. Um, you know, uh, Isaiah Williams is amazing. Uh, hasn't quite learned how to – to grab a kick at all times with the most reliable of hands. I can't say that I blame him played that position myself and people weren't nearly as big or as fast coming at me. Um, and then the other thing was uh, I thought Robertson had a be much better year as a punter. Um, but I will say the one punt that sticks into my mind was the 35 yard line drive to um, Iowa at a, at the worst moment in the game, that then a lot that that line drive allowed a 17 yard return and made Iowa's game winning touchdown much easier because th that 20 yards difference um, would have been very valuable to have uh, with that Iowa offense. But I know, and then he also had a kick block, but for the most part, I thought he played much better as well. But anyway, I don't want to make this too long on special teams, Matt. So you want to have aggressive special teams. You know, that's that's kind of my summary on this. 
I agree that the, that special teams needs to be an aggressive. I agreed with the philosophy that Robbie Disher wanted to bring in from Tulane and from Georgia. Um, I think he's a really good special teams coordinator. This is what happens when you go for a really aggressive special teams. Sometimes turnovers happen, and that's what happened for Illinois. Um, I agree with you on Robertson. I think that there's 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 going to be a good battle. I think in the in the spring and the upcoming preseason camp between him and Declan Dooley for the punting job, um, and I look forward to looking at that. Um, you have no issue at kicker, in my opinion, in, in David Alana. I think he's going to be really really special. Um, and he's also really, really cocky, which is sometimes what you want out of your kicker. Um, he has he has told his head coach, I will play four years and I do not need a red shirt. And so don't give me one. Um, when you're 18 years old and you can look at a 15 year head coach in Brett Bielema and dictate terms, you, you've got some you've got some stones. And, I, I, you know, David Alano has got some stones. Um I, I, I like that kid, uh, but Robbie Disher is bringing aggressive special teams to um, to Illinois, and I think there's two games in which it bit him real hard. Mike, you mentioned it, the Iowa game. I think – or I'm sorry, I, I thought the end-of-the-year game against Northwestern, it bit him – obviously it bit him really, really hard. I also thought the Nebraska game, it bit him really hard, and I know that Robbie thought that his special teams unit kind of lost him that football game, and – um, nobody in the building disagreed with him. So this is what you get. But I think that Robbie Disher was a really, really good hire. And I think that there's a lot of things that they can look forward to on special teams. And I, I think that all of the, even like, uh, so like, okay, the punt against Iowa, I agree with you. It shouldn't have been a line drive. I don't think you that he caught the ball as well as he right. could have. There's two, there's two PI penalties that Robertson had nothing to do exactly. with right then. Exactly. You know what I mean? So, yep. Yep. so, so in a, in a way, I think, in a C plus C to C minus way, E. Robertson did his job. And there wasn't a game where you were like, man, he lost us the football game, just like there was last year. Cause I think you could have pointed to games last year where you were like, damn it, you lost us that game if he had, if he'd have connected with the ball just decently. So um, I thought he improved. Again, he had a new coordinator who let him do whatever he wanted to do. I think, you know, Sean Snyder wanted to change him into something that he wasn't. He had somebody who was like, I'm going to let you be you, man, because I'm going to be me on special teams. And that was Robbie Disher. So I think that's a really, really good hire by Brett Bielema. And I think good things are going to come because Canary Wilcher is going to get better at kick return. And um, they're going to find somebody in punt return. I just I, I feel so bad for Isaiah sometimes because it's such a hard job. And I know that what he was being asked to do from an aggressive standpoint, again, may not have been putting him in the best scenario. Maybe sometimes just catching the like. I hate people hate when I say this, but Lovey's philosophy was catch the damn punt and then we'll go on offense. Don't try to anything special. Sometimes maybe that's 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 a prudent, especially in November, the way to play. I'm gonna mention one name, Kenari Wilcher. I I tell you what, I'm watching this the boards every day. That kid to me is special. That kid has foot speed and he has is squared. He is an amazing athlete. I know, you know, he's probably going to be a receiver, which I hope and pray they put him at that position. He was one guy that I wish I could have seen do more because I think there was one touchdown he ran and ran back. And, I mean, that was the quickest run back I've seen in Memorial Stadium in years. Um, I, I would have liked to have seen, instead of Isaiah calling fair catch, it is a tough spot. And um, he's had a rough four years of that. I mean, it's not just – this year, I mean, he had some some bad breaks last year. 
I would have liked to see a better field position. You know, I think that hurts the offense. I think 10 or 15, 20 yards makes a difference. And if they were worried about him getting hit and not having him on offense, then don't put him back there. I just think we gave up a lot of field position because, I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me and, you know, none of us do. We have to look it up. But he called fair catch every single – I mean, like all the time. And I just think that hurts. So I'd like to see him be more aggressive, but I don't want to see the turnovers because if you do turn it over – you know, we saw what happened in the Northwestern game, and, and that stings. But the star for me, and I, I really, really want to see. I know we talked about a lot of these guys, and but I really was impressed with Kanari Wilcher. When he had the ball, man, he was a – there was a chance he could run it back every time. I just wish we could have seen more of it. Yeah, that, that was – that's he was exciting. Gives you a taste of the future. So now let's go on and uh, touch base a little bit on schedule notes as we look at the games. I think I know what you guys are going to say, but as you look at the schedule, five and seven, a team that most of us thought could go anywhere from five and seven to eight and four, but Brett Bielma himself said zero and 12 to 12 and zero because he thought everybody was beatable or they could beat him. Um, What are the games that jump out to you when you look in retrospect that, that coaches are really going to look at and, you know, be be frustrated by um i think it's a two-game stretch mike i mean i i I do i think you look at the game at purdue when they laid an egg in the second half completely laid an egg in that second half at rossade stadium and then turned around in a quick turnaround that week and and completely laid an egg against nebraska those are two bad Big West, Big Ten West football teams, and you cannot lose those games. You cannot lose those games. Um, I think that that painted a picture for for what Illinois struggles were the entire year. Um, and uh, look, Mike, you've heard me say it before. I'm just going to say it again. He, <laughs> the man played four first year head coaches in the Big Ten this year, and he went zero and four against all of them. That is a picture of. Oof, if you're Brett Bielema, you had two years to build your program. You had two years head start on those four schools to build your program, and they came and beat you in year one. And and that is that is deflating as deflating gets. So, but I thought that two week stretch, and it ends up being like a what a six day stretch where they lose to Purdue, and then on a Friday night they have to turn around and play Nebraska and they laid an egg in, in, in Memorial Stadium. I thought that that set the tone for, for everything that was that was wrong with what Illinois was this year in 2023. I'm going to tell you right now, the the one that set the tone for me was the uh, 34-23 loss at Kansas. They looked like they didn't belong on the field with Kansas, and I didn't see that coming. I think that loss stings. Um, Kansas was a good team, but Illinois looked outclassed. For a lot of people that asked me this all year, the Purdue loss didn't bother me as much. I don't know. I think maybe it bothered a lot of people because it had a lot to do with Ryan Walters. The loss that really frustrated me, I was two more, um, two, was the loss against Nebraska. They looked like they didn't care if they were out there or not. Nebraska clearly got better, but there's no way that Illinois should have lost 20-7 to against a Nebraska team like that. Those That's a game that stung. stung. The last one is Northwestern game. I don't care if they were bowl eligible or not. You don't lose that game. There was so much fighting on that game, you know, for you to go to a bowl, 
Um, you needed that win, I mean, to continue to show dominance over Northwestern. Northwestern's going to be a, a player at some point because they're still recruiting. They do a good job of it. You know, they're, they're, they're not getting guys that people don't want. So that's a bad, another bad loss. I know you asked for two, Mike, but I'll tell you, it was hard not to mention all three of those. That last one, it – it was it was it was a shocker. I mean, I don't Illinois was favored by six points, I believe, and you lost at home, and it was just not. It was it, it's a bad look, and you got to move on from it. But I was not impressed with that. Well, and I look at it as as I look at it, I, I'm going to lean a little more towards Matt with the the Purdue second half was, as they say in Princess Bride, it was inconceivable, um, and it was just horrific on like multiple levels. And if if it is true that that Ryan Walters was able to stand on the sideline and listen to Illinois' play calls because he knew him from last year and then countermand on the field, which that rumor is going around. Don't know if we'll ever be able to totally uh, figure that one out. But um, if that's the what case. I, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but it's what Isaiah Williams said after the game. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to tell you what he said after yeah. the game. Yeah. But to, is that, is that, is that really Ryan's fault or maybe? No, Illinois no, no, no. Ryan didn't do it. Ryan didn't do anything wrong. It's, it's the yeah. Illinois staff's fault for not changing, changing yeah. the, the, the call, because that's a, that's a W and to change yeah. it, you know, for one week, geez, Maurice, you know, that, that to me is, is one that I would have, I guess, had on my schedule that I have to change. Um, that one was frustrating. And Nebraska, you know, I've never, you could even see, and Bielma's not, you know, he gets mad about stuff, but you could see when they didn't score that touchdown in the first half, you could see some wind go out of his sails, even, you know, like what what is going on here? And you wonder how different that game would have been if Illinois would have taken the ball down, scored, and, you know, got up and maybe the, the home crowd and the Friday night, and, you know, maybe it turns into a different game, but alas, it didn't. Wisconsin was frustrating, but, you know, without Newton on the field, it is what it is. And, of course, in another one of those halftime uh, scores right before the half where the, the defense just struggled with their prevent blitz, prevent whatever they were in, it didn't work regardless of what was what play was called. Um, but now let's go on to the final discussion point we have here, and then we'll wrap this podcast up real quick for folks. I want a letter grade, A, B, C, D, E, F, for this season for the Fighting Illini. Matt? Hmm. I can't do incomplete because it was incomplete. Like, I didn't, they didn't do what they said they were going to do. Um, uh, you know what? I'll do, I'll, I'll go there because I said it in a column. I'll give it an F. I mean, I, everybody in that building considers five and seven a failure. So I'll go F. Like, I, I, I really think everybody in that building thought that, you know, their basement was somewhere around four and eight and five and seven, and they hit their basement. They did not do what they said they were going to do. And if you quote the head coach, I didn't come here to go five and seven. And he has he has said that like while there were building blocks that were made in two thousand and twenty in uh, two thousand twenty one with that five and seven season, they considered it a failure because they didn't go to postseason. In two thousand and twenty three, we've reached the Rubicon again, and they went five and because they went five and seven again. I'll I'll be that guy. Um, you know, I'll call it an F. Like they failed, 
and, and, and it's 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 something that this coaching staff is going to have to live with until spring ball rolls around, and quite frankly, until they play Eastern Illinois in, in late August to, to start the 2024 season. I'm I'm giving it a D. I that's right. I mean, and I'm being generous because they left games on the table. Mike, you just talked about you know the the, the Purdue game. You know, not changing signs and you know signals and just little things like that. The penalties they left a lot of games on the table. I mean, they played Iowa, a team that's going to the Big Ten championship game. They made. Everything that could have went wrong did go wrong, and sometimes the aggressive, the most aggressive teams, make the least amount of mistakes. If that makes any sense, so I'm just I can't say it was a success. I'm not giving them a C. The reason I didn't give them an F was because I I think there's going to be some growth from uh, Luke Altmaier. I think the offense is just going to be dynamic next year. I I really do. I think they'll have one of the better offenses in the Big Ten just because if, if they're healthy, you know I know Reggie Love, you know is going to be gone, but I don't know who else is going to be in the portal. It's, it's Thursday right now, so it's hard to say what's going to happen tomorrow. But I just – it was not average. It was very, very poor. And if they think it was successful, I don't know what – I don't know what they're saying because I didn't see it. And the 45,000, 50,000 fans that showed up on on Saturdays in Memorial Stadium, they didn't see it either. Yeah, I'll give it a D. You, you, left, you left some easy games on the table, but when you go five and three in one score games – um, you can't say that luck was against you either. Um, so maybe you need to make, you know, more games, not one score games, so you can rest a little easy and one play isn't quite so big. But before we close, I am going to put my one, my one prediction that I had out there that turned out to be, it is so close to a stone cold lock. I said that that we would see Toledo the only loss they would have this year would be to Illinois. Now, Illinois darn near didn't pull it off. We'll give Casey Washington a big, big plus for making me look good. But this Toledo team is is a conference championship away from beating a very good Miami of Ohio team for a second time and making making it look like I actually knew what I was talking about for one day during the 2023 year. So I appreciate that Toledo Rockets go Rockets. I will be rooting for you folks. We will be back with another podcast on this, where we will be doing part two, Brad Sturdy and Steve Sturm. will talk a little bit about their thoughts on this season as well. We want you to listen to that and it'll be on in just a couple days. Whether you live in Champaign or Chicago, halfway across the country or on the other side of the world, IlliniGuys.com keeps you in the know. Be it in-game results, top-level stories, or the latest behind-the-scenes info in recruiting, IlliniGuys.com has you covered. For about 25 cents a day, you can have an inside path to your favorite Illini teams. And we'll even throw in a free seven-day trial to kick the tires. Go to IlliniGuys.com, click the register button, and get immediate access to dozens of stories each month, message forums, free giveaways, and more. IlliniGuys.com. This is Mike Kegley. We do want to thank Matt and Kedrick for taking time out of their evening to talk about the Illini football season. Of course, we will have coverage with the Illini and Rutgers on Saturday, so be looking for the podcast on that. And, of course, we will have more of the football season in review at the start of the week. Thank you so much for your time, and go Illini! 
Fans of big sports radio and sports spectacular podcasts have a new home on the Chief Sports Network. Find your favorite programs and content all in one place by downloading the Chief Sports app in your mobile device. Created in South Carolina, the Chief Sports Network is the home of an expanding network of live and podcast format programming. It is also the home of one of the leading national college football podcasts, J.C. and Morgan, hosted by ESPN's Mike Morgan and 24-7 Sports' J.C. Sherbert. Download the Chief Sports app for free and find all of your favorite programming under one easy umbrella. Thanks to all of our markets for your loyal support of Big Sports Radio and our Sports Spectacular podcast, and we look forward to connecting with you anywhere in the world on the Chief Sports app.